0: We're going to continue in our series in Jonah and the city. And our scripture reading is Jonah 4, 1 to 4. Join me there. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish." For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Well, hey, uh, good morning. My name's Nate, I haven't met you yet. Good to be with you. Um, well, it's Mother's Day, and for many of you, uh, this is a wonderful day, right? This is a day in which, of all the days of the year, you get to be rightly honored and celebrated, and uh, yet for others of you, uh, this is a hard day. Just, it's... Um, just want to acknowledge that whatever this day is for you, related to this day, um, that God sees you, that God knows you, and not only that, whether it's a day of joy or sorrow, because of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, I can actually say with confidence that He's for you. That being said, I was reflecting this week on um, on my mom. And uh, when I was 11 or 12, I don't remember quite the age, but it was a beautiful spring day, I was excited to finally get out and actually play with some of my friends, and then my mom informed me that it was spring cleaning day, which is horrible, because it means extended cleaning, which means you can't go outside. And I don't know what I was like, but all morning I was very obstinate, and at one point my mom stopped me and she said, son, I want you to have joy. And this is how you have joy. And here's the acronym, you put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And I remember that moment, I did not say to her, oh, that's so wonderful. I've never thought about things that way. And yet, right, years later, I still remember that moment. You know, if we're honest, in any meaningful relationship, there are hard conversations that you have, and it might be, right, a son or a daughter, it might be a spouse, it might be a really close friend, but you have those hard conversations because you see perhaps an attitude or an action that if it continues this way, it's going to make their life really hard. And here we are in Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to be here for two weeks because it's here where God is having a hard conversation with Jonah. He is patiently, lovingly disrupting Jonah's life. You may remember, we said this from week 1, That Jonah is this prophet who is self-centered, tribalistic, nationalistic, running from the call of God, and yet God keeps coming. And in chapter four, God has a hard conversation with Jonah because he wants Jonah to embrace his heart for this world. He wants Jonah to embrace Actually, the compassionate heart of God for this city. We've been saying week after week that this book is meant not only for Jonah, right? It's meant for us. It's meant to challenge us, it's meant to disrupt us, but it's also done out of love. So we might participate with this God on mission. So, three things this morning there's a trap, there's a diagnostic. And there's a way out. So let me pray and we'll get in. So, Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. For the sake of your Son Jesus, amen. Well, the trap, I don't know if you caught it, but it's set. Do you see it? Do you see the trap in the text? Well, let's let's roll through a little bit here. Just roll with me. So, verse one: Listen to what is happening. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And 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 now notice here for a moment. This is actually the strongest possible language you can use in the Hebrew to express emotion. Jonah, on a scale of one to ten, being angry is a hundred. Okay, And did you hear what he's angry about? It's it. <laughs> but it displeased Jonah. In other words, you go back to last week, chapter 3. Here's what he's angry about. Jonah went to the city of Nineveh. Remember his, his enemies. And he preached this message. A message of judgment. But then the city repented. They turned from their wicked ways. And then God Graciously relented from the disaster he was going to do. In other words, while God's anger was ceasing, Jonah's anger was ramping up. He was, he's angry because God has shown mercy to his enemies. It continues, Jonah prays. It's a wonderful prayer, right? He tells God, hey, I knew I knew that this is what you were going to do. That's why I didn't go the first time. And then he throws out this. He says, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you catch that? He throws God's character back in God's face, okay? And then Jonah tops it all off with verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, therefore, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah has a death wish. He does not want to live in a world where people like those in Nineveh are spared. He only wants to live in a world where his kind of people are blessed, And others are not. And there's one more thing here. You may not see it off the top. When Jonah says, take my life, it's actually an echo of another prophet. A very revered prophet. The prophet Elijah. There's a moment in the prophet Elijah's life where he's so discouraged because in his life he was trying to get God's people to turn back to God and they hadn't. And he's so frustrated, so discouraged at ministry that he says, this, Take my life. I am no better than my father's. In other words, Elijah is so discouraged, so disheartened because he's failed. And Jonah is so discouraged, so disheartened because he's succeeded. And that's the photo negative. The author, actually, who's Jonah, more than likely, wants you to understand how different he is than Elijah. He doesn't come close to Elijah. So let me ask you, here's the trap. As you listen to Jonah, how are you feeling about Jonah? There's a moment, right, where you almost want to laugh at Jonah. There's a moment where you almost want to grab him and shake him. And Jonah, do you hear yourself? Do you, do you see how silly you are with what you're saying? But that's the trap. Because if you remember, at the end of the day, after this book was read, the tradition was the congregation would stand up and say, we are Jonah. In other words, as much as you condemn Jonah we actually condemn ourselves. Now, let me put it this way. Some of us, you might be here this morning, you might say this, you know, I'm fine with most people God showing mercy to. But if we're honest, there are some in which we'd say, no, that goes too far. For others of us, maybe we don't identify so much with Jonah's anger But perhaps we're cynical. We look out at the world, perhaps at a particular group of people, and we say, there's just no way. There's not even a point. They're not going to change. Or for others of us, we're out of step with God's compassion because there's just a level of apathy. There's a general lack of concern with anything outside of me, myself, and I. And see, one of the things that the book of Jonah wants to do for each one of us is as we look at the silly and senseless prophet Jonah, and as we see ourselves in him, that it would actually arouse in us a desire for change. In one way or another, we'd say, I do not want to be like that. Right? And that's the trap. But there's also a diagnostic. You know, in the book of Jonah, there's a lot of what we see, honestly, is, is what Jonah does. And therefore, we, we haven't been able to really see what's going on underneath Jonah. But this is a section, actually, these three verses show us a lot about what's underneath the hood. What's going on in Jonah's heart? You know, thinking about it this way, emotions or like a car dashboard, you know, when the lights come up and it says check engine, um, or there's a funny symbol and you have no idea what it means, but it actually means tire pressure. That's the one that I always had to figure out. You, you know something's wrong or you know something's happening, but you have to do a diagnostic. And so you take it to a place, they plug in the machine, they get some codes back, and they say, this is the problem. Well, this text is actually really helpful. It's a diagnostic. And let me just share with you four things that are happening in jonah's heart that might be happening in our heart if we're out of step with god's compassion in this world so the first is this you may have forgotten the grace that god has shown you you know it's interesting when you first see jonah getting mad at the it in verse one one of the things you want to do just naturally is to say, "Jonah, don't you remember like you were going to be dead at the bottom of the ocean, and then God appointed a fish. Do you not see the grace that God has shown you?" One of the first reasons why for us, we can be honest up with God's compassion, maybe cynical, maybe apathetic or maybe angry is because we've forgotten that at the center of the Christian faith, at the center of the scriptures is this, is that we are not achievers, but that we are receivers. In other words, one of the things that can slip in is you can begin to subconsciously or consciously think that the reason you are here, the reason you've been accepted by God is because you've cleaned yourself up. You begin to think, That the reason why you're acceptable to God is because you merit it. And when that happens, when you look at others who don't have their lives put together, what do you think? There's no way they can make it. Or if they want to make it, they better clean themselves up. Which means people like the Ninevites, they got no chance. But friends, that's the very opposite of what it means to be a Christian. It begins with grace, the fact that you and I deserve judgment, but that God has shown mercy in Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection, and that through him and only him, that's how you're accepted. And actually from there, that's how change happens. Even as one pastor would say, even though it happens quite often unevenly in our lives, It's not lost on me that, you know, the most, you think about like one of the most prolific church planters or missionaries in all of history would say these words to one of his protégés, he'd say this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, the Apostle Paul, this is my summary, he would say, if God can show mercy to me, then anyone has a shot. Anyone has a chance, which is why he was able to go everywhere and not be cynical, because he, he realized, I can't believe I'm a Christian, and not be apathetic, because he saw what it did in his life. And listen, friends, it doesn't take long to forget that God has been gracious towards you. Remember that. Secondly, you may have the correct doctrine, but it might be void of devotion. Imagine for a moment, it's a cold, wintry day, and you go over to your friend's house, and they've got one of those like huge TVs, and they've got the fireplace channel on. You know, and you take off your coat, you walk over to the TV, and you begin to warm your hands there. It's crackling, and then you realize wait, there's no heat. That's what it's like to have doctrine without devotion. It's actually kind of scary here in the book of Jonah, and we see it here again. Uh, when Jonah prays, And describes God. He's quoting Exodus 34 and combining Joel chapter 2 about who God is. He knows who God is. He's rightly thinking about God, but there is no devotion. There's no heart connection there. There is light, but there is no heat. You know, there's a church mentioned in Revelation that was doctrinally precise, was praised for the fact that they called out false teachers. But the one thing, the one thing that Jesus says to them is this, you've lost your first love. Listen, if you're on step with God's compassion, it could be that you have absolutely great doctrine. You've read the right books. You've got the right teaching. But your heart is far from him. That's what's happening to Jonah. And thirdly, your relationship with God might be governed by an if" clause. You know, um, when you think about anger as an emotion, why do you get angry? Well, really, when you think about it, anger is derived from something you love being threatened. So think for a moment if you've got kids or you've got a friend who gets bullied, what do you do? You get? You get angry. You love them. So, why is Jonah so angry here? Well, to put it this way, there is an existential crisis happening for Jonah because he loves his country. He loves his people, right? And Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, which are his country's enemies, are now still there because they've turned from their wicked ways and therefore they're actually a threat to that nation. And so here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with loving your nation or loving your race but when that love is greater than your love for God there's a problem. Remember, this is why Jonah didn't go in the first place. This is what he said. He said, God, I will serve you if if you will bless my people and not them. And friends, if we're out of step with God's compassion, it is oftentimes because we put an if clause in our relationship to God. We say things like, if you give me a spouse... Or if you bless my practice, or if you fill in the blank. <clears throat> the list goes on, but what's happening in Jonah's life is there's an if clause, and he's out of step with God's compassion. And fourthly, it might be because you've excluded the enemy from the community of humans. Uh, Mirsa Wolf, he's a Christian professor, I believe he's at Yale, and he grew up in Croatia. And um, if you know anything about the history, they walked through a genocide. And he wrote this remarkable book, book called "Exclusion and Embrace," talking about what he's seen all over the world. This this dynamic of just clear hatred and division. And he said this. He said forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. That's so profound, right? Because when someone has done something to us, all of a sudden, they become subhuman. They become deplorable. And then what happens when we look at ourselves, we look pretty good. Jonah's resistance to go to Nineveh is one that looked at that evil oppressive empire and said, They're beyond rescuing. They're not worth it. They don't deserve it. Which is actually true, but that's the point of grace. And that means for some of us, the reason why we're out of step with God's compassion for the world is because of those people. You know those people, right? Let me ask this question. Who, if they became a Christian, would you not want to be in the same church with? Can I just submit to you that whoever that is, they should rise to the top of your prayer list. I had a friend recently (laughs) who <laughs> named a certain political candidate. And he's like, oh, are you serious? Man, if They became a Christian? Oh, man, like, I know, but really? I think we all have it. Let me, let me put it this way. This is what's interesting about Christianity. It is, it is radically exclusive and at the same time the most inclusive faith out there. In other words, it's radically exclusive because it says this, You have to come to God through Jesus. There is no other door. There is no other way. It is only through him. And yet at the same point, it is the most inclusive. Because if it's about him and his performance, and it's merely by faith, it means anyone and all are welcomed. There's nothing like it out there. Well, let me ask you, how are you doing after those four diagnostics? Have you forgotten the grace God has shown you? Do you have really good doctrine but little devotion? Have you added an if clause to relating to God? Or have you excluded the enemy from the community of humans? I hope you can relate with me and just say that we're a mess, right? If you think you passed, think again. So, so what's the way out? I mean, what is it? What do we do? I'll give you two thoughts. Um, the first one is to pray. Of all the things that Jonah does, this is the thing he does right. Um, <clears throat> he keeps talking to God. His prayer is honest with where he is. His prayer is honest about what he thinks about God and what he's done. And God hears him. A, a great starting point to thinking about embracing the compassionate heart of God is just to be honest with God, with who you are and what you think and where you are, and to know that he listens. I mean, let's be honest, he knows it, right? He's not going to be surprised by it, but he hears it. Be in there. But, But then the second piece is, you need to have some level of disruptive grace enter your life. And... Put this way, I don't know about you, but when you read through the book of Jonah, there's a moment where you begin to think, like, so God, you've rescued Jonah from the bottom of the ocean. He said yes, and he's went, he's done what you asked him to do, and now he's so angry. There's a moment where you almost just want to be like, is God going to like send a lightning bolt? Is he going to send another storm? Like, what is he going to do? I mean, especially after this prayer. I mean, I would be out of patience. But look at how God responds. Look at verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? It's a question. Think about it. God is so patient with Jonah. He could have come in Guns ablazing, saying, "Jonah, listen to yourself, Of course I'm going to act that way because that's who I am and come condemning, but what does he do?" He wants Jonah to reflect on where he is, and he actually wants Jonah to come to the conclusion that he's wrong. He's actually inviting Jonah to condemn himself. Let me invite the band up here as we'll close in a moment here. But I'll I'll just put it this way. We'll be here next week again, but in a moment, this is really a time where God is inviting Jonah to turn. He's inviting Jonah to repent. So as you consider what this means for you, let me just put it this way. Years later there's another one who came. And he had every right, every right to be angry. Every right. And yet, on the cross, this true and better Jonah looked out, not with words of condemnation, but with these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are patient, that you are persistent.